language group and we ask that you would send missionaries to them, Lord. That we believe that there's people within that tribe and tongue that you want to call to yourself. And so, Father, we pray for them that you would provide for them. And it's the least we can do to pray and to remember them. And so, Lord, we lift them to you, that you would save them. Father, we lift up uh, the troubled spots in many areas of our world that uh, we are concerned about. We think of the hot spots of uh, the war in Ukraine and Turkey and Syria as they continue to have a refugee crisis after the earthquakes earlier this year. We uh, pray for North Texas after they had tornadoes this uh, last week. Uh, Lord, we just lift them to you, lift our nation to you and its uh, leaders. We pray for President Biden, that you would give him wisdom with his staff, Lord, to um, have wisdom in leading this country. Father, you tell us to pray for our leaders, and so we lift them to you. We lift up the coming elections as well next year, and we submit ourselves to you and your plan for this country. Father, we pray for those that are grieving. Father, we um, pray that you would be with uh, Debbie and uh, her family, Lord, as they grieve the loss of Bill this week. Lord, we thank you for your grace in Bill's life, and we pray that you would comfort them, but we also thank you for your grace in taking Bill home, that he didn't have to suffer anymore. God, our hearts break, and we remember uh, their just dear fellowship with us here. We thank you for Bill's smile and the many years that he worked at Samaritan's Purse and the many people that he brought great joy to. We lift him to you uh, and commit him to you, Lord, and we commit... Uh, a Debbie to you, Lord, as she grieves. And Father, that you would uh, surround them with your love. Father, we pray that you would uh, be with them. And Lord, give us wisdom how we can support and encourage, Lord, in this great time of, of need for, for that family. Father, we continue to lift up the Lawrence and Poe family too as they continue to grieve the loss of Paulette a few weeks back and the Brown family, Lord, and the loss of Cade uh, and others, Lord, that uh, have just recently lost loved ones. Father, uh, I lift up uh, those who are traveling uh, in our congregation, that you'd be with them, that you would give them uh, encouragement as they vacate or whatever uh, they have going on this week, that you'd be with them. Father, we thank you for the joy of uh, Joel and Tony Rios uh, receiving Atlas into the world. Uh, thank you for him, that you would continue to uh, grow him, Lord, and that he would uh, come to know you at a young age. We thank you for Tony and Joel and their years of service in this church, that you would continue to uh, strengthen and establish them. Father, we thank you for our expectant mothers. Lord, we think of Ellie and Sarah, that you would be with them in their pregnancies. Father, that you give them strength. Lord, you would bring these babies to full term. And Lord, we thank you for what you will do in um, providing for them and their families. Father, we pray for uh, continued healing uh, for Lloyd and uh, for Danny in post-surgery. And while they're doing much better, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to, to um, help them to, to heal completely. And we don't forget to pray for David Lemire's mother, Lord, after her surgery a couple weeks ago. And we thank you for continued healing too for Hunter, Lord, and his wrist. And Brandon as well with his leg and others, Lord, that have gone through uh, various treatments. Uh, Kitty and her uh, eye surgery, that you would uh, bring a great healing there as well. Father, we thank you that uh, you are with us. We thank you for our members that are in transition, that you'd be with them as well, that, Lord, you would bring them into a body of believers very soon. And for those that are 
looking to even join here, that you'd be with them. We think of our baptism candidates as they uh, prepare for baptism, Lord, that you'd be with them. We thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church. Father, we lift up finally our, our church plan at Christ alone, that you would be with them. We'd be with Pastor Tim as he preaches this morning. You'd give him strength, Father, uh, that you would uh, be with that body, Lord, that you would continue to grow them, establish them, and strengthen them. Lord, we thank you for our worship now. Lord, as we go into a time of the preaching of your word, that you would not just uh, be glorified in your preaching, but our obedience to it. We would also be expository listeners that you would do the heart surgery that we all need uh, with your word. We thank you for our brother Paul, that he can be here this morning and preach the word. And uh, God, we thank you for him. Thank you that uh, even though he's not a stranger here, Lord, that you would uh, just, uh, just empower him this morning to bring uh, your word and deliver it. Father, we thank you for what you're doing uh, in and through this congregation. Would you meet our needs, Lord, as we look to you expectantly, our treasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. We trust that you are doing well. Uh, we are glad to have Paul Grabiel with us this morning. There's a little bio in your bulletins. Paul is not a stranger to us. He's been attending uh, with his wife, um, Christine, and his daughter. Uh, just graduated Liberty, so we're glad to have them and we're excited to hear um, from Paul this morning. Uh, we're thankful that God is uh, working amongst us and that we can uh, look to his uh, word. And uh, Paul and I have got acquainted in the last few months. Uh, Paul and I share a, a passion for church planting, even international church planting. And also uh, he serves on his board uh, of uh, directors over at the Pregnancy Center in Johnson County. And we also share that uh, passion to see uh, those in crisis pregnancies uh, supported and encouraged, and obviously uh, that they're able to have the gospel and see a reversal of uh, the horrible uh, pandemic of, of uh, murder going on of unborn children in our country. And so we're thankful uh, for Paul. Paul, would you come and preach the word to us this morning? Thank you, brother. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, again, I would like to thank Pastor Scott for the invitation and to be able to be here with you today. Because what he has done in extending this invitation, church, you need to understand this is no small matter. That any time that a pastor will allow another man to come and stand behind the sacred desk and then unpack the word of God to the people that he's been entrusted to care for and to shepherd is no small matter. And I'm honored to be asked, and I'm humbled to be asked, because that little bio there in the bulletin really doesn't tell the whole story about me. You see that hymn, Amazing Grace? That's about me. I am nothing more than a wretched sinner. Nothing more. 
whom by God's grace in and through Jesus Christ have been redeemed and for the purpose of making him known and knowing him. Now, when Pastor Scott contacted me this week, I was actually uh, at school. Uh, my job requires me to uh, seek additional training, and so I was at school at North Carolina State University uh, for meter and substation school for a few days. And uh, he sent me the text and uh, asked me if I could fill in, and I said, of course. And then his next text was, uh, can you provide uh, an outline for, for the PowerPoint? And when he did that, the first thought that entered my mind, brother, are you sure about that? <laughs> because my wife can attest to this and my daughter. You know, I'm looking at preaching six verses this morning. Typically six verses are five sermons, uh, 20 to 25 points, 50 to 55 subpoints. I mean, you're looking at a guy that when he, he preached through Psalm 23, it took him eight weeks to cover four verses. So for everyone's sanity and well-being this morning, I've condensed this sermon to four. The first of which is there from verse one, the point of it all. And then the second point is from verse two. Look out for false teachers. And then from verse 3, remember who you are. And then from verses 4 through 6, remember who I was. Now before we go into God's word together, I would like for you to pray with me and for me this morning. So let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father God, as we come together in this place and for this purpose, what we're about to do is not look at the words of man, but look at your word. And your word is truth. And you've given us your word for our salvation, our good, our godliness, and for your glory. So, Lord, we ask that you help us. You help us to receive it as the all-sufficient, all-authoritative word of God. Because, Lord, we know that true worship does not begin until the people of God respond to the word of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes to its truth. We see the wonderful things that are contained within it and that we respond by the guidance of your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. So will you stand with me this morning as we read God's word together from Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. Hear it. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. First of all, as we begin here with this text, I would like to draw your attention there to that first sentence there in verse 1. Because it's here in the beginning of verse 1, we see the point of it all. We see the point of this letter, we see the point of this passage. When Paul makes the statement, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Because if there's any other, or if there's any overriding theme of this letter of Philippians, it is joy. And Paul, back in chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, he tells us exactly how serious he is about joy. If you don't mind, flip back there for just a moment to chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul here, he, he is so serious about joy, he is ready and he is willing to forego the greatest desire he has in life which is to immediately depart and enter into the presence of Christ in glory. He's willing to forego all of that to stay in this world and work for what? It says in verse 25, for your progress and joy in the faith. So, so he is so serious about joy, he is willing to forego that which will complete his joy so that he might continue in ministry, so that he might continue to pastor a church, so that it might grow in the faith and grow in joy, but just not any joy. He's not talking here about a fake joy where we pretend everything is all right when it's not. He's not talking about a superficial joy that comes when we deny the hard realities of life that each and every one of us face. He's talking about a deep joy. A joy that remains when you 
feel your world has just been turned upside down. A joy that remains when your, your heart is broken and your eyes are filled with tears. He's talking about a joy that does not derive from us. It's a joy that comes from God himself. A joy that can only be produced by the grace and the mercy and the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Joy in the faith. As a matter of fact, if you go back into John's gospel, in chapter 15, it is there that the Lord Jesus describes the whole purpose of his work being so that our joy might be complete in him. And it's actually in that statement by our Lord Jesus, we also see how serious God is about joy. He is so serious about joy, he sent his only begotten son into the world to go to the cross, die, resurrect from the dead so that your joy might be complete in him. And that's the point of this letter. That's the point of this passage. Joy in the faith. Rejoicing in the Lord. So Paul, he begins here in chapter 3, and he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. But I got a question, and the question that came up in my mind when I sat down with this passage was, here Paul begins this next paragraph, this next section of this letter, talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And then he goes into the very next statement and he starts talking about false teachers in verse 2. What does he mean? What, why does he do this? Because notice he says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate flesh. Can I ask you all a question this morning? Serious question. Why does the church have creeds and confessions? Have you ever thought about that? Why does the church have creeds and confessions? Why does this particular church hold to the second London Baptist Confession? Why catechism? It's actually really simple. We have creeds, we have confessions, we practice catechism. Guess what? For our joy. You see, true biblical doctrine produces and grows and sustains joy. The confession is designed for you and I to experience and express the joy that we have in the Christian life. Because false teaching, false doctrine, it kills the joy in the faith. Especially the kind of false teaching that the Apostle Paul is discussing here that was infiltrating the church at Philippi. A, a false teaching that told them not to put confidence in Christ, but to put confidence in the flesh. Put confidence in themselves. 
a false teaching that said, if you truly want to be accepted by God, you not only have to have your hope and trust in Christ, you have to have your hope and trust in things that you do. And this kind of false teaching, it does nothing but kill joy in the Christian life because it puts confidence in the flesh. And the flesh is fallen. People, I, I, I don't mean to be mean this morning, but your flesh is rotten. There is not one aspect of you that has not been infected and affected by sin. It's rotten. And so he says here in verse 2, Church, pay close attention to what's being taught. Be on guard at all times. If what you are hearing is not in accordance with the Scripture, if what you are being taught does not match with what I teach, if what you are being taught does not match what the apostles teach, if it is not matching what the Lord Jesus taught, ignore it. But not only ignore it, reject it. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now this particular group that, that Paul is speaking of here are, are a group that is referred to as the Judaizers. And who they are is a group of Jewish followers of Jesus who think and taught that all Christians, especially the Gentile Christians, are required not only to believe in Jesus, but to keep the Mosaic ceremonial rituals too. For example, they, they taught that all males were to be circumcised and that all Jewish dietary laws had to be followed. They, they taught that all the religious practices and ritual practices of the ceremonial law had to be kept. But I want you to notice what Paul calls them here. That, that first metaphor he uses for them. He calls them a dog. Paul is describing them with the same derogatory term that a Jew used to describe a Gentile. A dog. And see, it's with that statement that Paul is saying, church, they're not a part of the true circumcision. They have no place in the kingdom of God. Church, they're not in Christ. He's saying they're pagan. He's saying they're dogs. Then he calls them what? He calls them evildoers. In other words, he's saying that the things that they want all Christians to do are evil. And they're evil because they're asking Christians to add to the finished work of Christ. They're evil because essentially they teach that the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ is not sufficient to redeem. 
those teachings are lies. They're the lies of the devil. And all they're meant to do is to rob you of your joy in Christ Jesus and diminish the glory of Christ. And so Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. And look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So if there's any question whom the Apostle Paul is speaking of here, he makes it very clear with that last statement. Those who mutilate the flesh. Because he's speaking of those who wanted all males who follow Jesus to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. Now, now by referring to them as those who mutilate the flesh, he, he, he's saying that they have actually turned circumcision into a pagan ritual. That they, 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 that they are in fact pagan. That they're nothing more than superstitious and they're nothing more than ritual worshipers. They mutilate the flesh. But as he's making the statement and we're looking at this statement, we need to understand more broadly what Paul is saying here. He's telling you and I that anyone who suggests that you put your faith and trust anywhere other than Christ alone is a false teacher. If anyone tells you it's Christ plus this, it's they're false teachers. And we must reject them. We must reject what they teach. So he says, look out. Pay close attention. Because these teachers like the Judaizers, if you were to ask them point blank, face to face, is salvation by grace alone? They will look at you and they will smile and they will poke out their chest and they say, oh yes. Salvation is by grace. But, if you want to be a true Christian, you want to be totally and completely accepted by God, then you must do this. And not only this, then you have to do this. And you have to do this. And you have to do this. Church, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I make this next statement, but salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Because when we add anything to Christ, we are taking away from Christ. And we're diminishing His glory. We're saying in that moment that He is not enough. That we need more. And we don't need more. It is Him and Him alone. So according to God's Word here, His teaching is false. But it's sad to say that that kind of teaching is all around us in the world. And what's even sadder, it's penetrated the church. And it's a lie. 
It's a lie that, that robs and, and kills our joy. But true biblical teaching, true doctrine, God's truth, it nourishes you, it strengthens your faith, it humbles your pride, it brings joy, and it exalts Christ. This is why Paul tells us to look out for these false teachers, and when we see them, put them out. Reject them. Because if you embrace what they teach, you are putting your confidence and trust in the flesh. And yet that, my friends, will kill your joy. And that brings us to our next point here from verse 3. Paul reminds them to remember who they are. We are the circumcision. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's in this single verse that the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually giving us a four-part definition of a Christian. So what is a Christian? First, a Christian is the true circumcision. Because remember, the Philippians were, were being told, if you want to really be the people of God, it's Jesus plus ritual. Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus the flesh. And Paul is saying, don't listen to them. You are the true circumcision. You are the recipient of God's promises to Abraham in Christ alone. You are the people of God. You're the people of God because you trust in Christ alone. But then second, a Christian worships by the Spirit of God. That statement reminds me of a conversation that Jesus has back in John's Gospel in chapter 4 with a Samaritan woman as he meets her at a well. Because in the course of that conversation, the, the, the question comes up from this woman about where one should worship. Should they worship in Samaria or should they travel and worship in the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus says to her there in the beginning of verse 23 of chapter 4, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, Jesus is saying the time is here when God manifests his presence amongst his people wherever they are gathered in Jesus' name. It is there that they will worship God through Jesus in spirit and truth. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, remember who you are. We are the true circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of Christ. We're not under the old temple rituals anymore. We worship by the Spirit. And then thirdly, 
The third part of the definition of a Christian is a Christian glories in Christ. See, the false teacher, the false Christian, they will say that you need Jesus plus something. Friends, if that is you today, if you're saying and you practice that I'd have to have Jesus plus this, you're not glorying in Christ. You're glorying in self. You're not glorying in the sufficiency of Jesus the Savior. And if you're not glorying in Christ alone, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. And the reason that I say that is because of the remainder of this definition that is given here in verse 3. Because look at what Paul says next. A Christian puts no confidence where? In the flesh. And so if you're glorying in anything other than Christ alone, you're not Christian. You see, there's only one thing every Christian does. We glory in the fact that Jesus paid it all. Amen. He paid it all. So church, glory in Christ, be in awe of the fact that he paid it all. Proclaim with joy that no labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Thou must save and save by grace. So nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Christ I cling. He is the sole, sovereign, all-sufficient Savior. Put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Don't look to your flesh. For hope. Don't look to religious ritual for your assurance of belonging to God. Look to Christ and to Him alone. Remember who you are. For the Christian is the true circumcision. Worships by the Spirit of God. Glories in Christ. And puts no confidence in the flesh. And if that's not enough, I want you to look what Paul says next. Remember who I was. There beginning in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks... He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying it, if remembering who you are is not enough for you to reject your confidence in the flesh, to reject this false teaching that's coming into the church, if that is not enough, remember who I used to be. 
take a look at me. Because if that stuff, those things that they claim are true, I would be their poster child. I would be their greatest spokesman. Look at me. Look at what I used to be. I was circumcised as an infant on the eighth day according to the law of Moses, meaning I am no convert to Judaism. I'm not a former Gentile. I'm Hebrew. I'm Hebrew by birth. Furthermore, I'm a Benjamite. I, I, have, a, I have a distinguished pedigree amongst, er, amongst Israel. I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And you think that I played loose with the law? No, I was a Pharisee. I had the strictest view of the law. I mean, I, I love the law more than anyone else. And you want to question my religious zeal? Remember who I used to be. I killed Christians. I persecuted the church. I was flawless in my commitment to the law of Moses. But I want you to look in verse 7 at what he says next after he makes this statement. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying if confidence in the flesh worked, if what they were teaching worked, it would have worked for me. But it didn't. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, or if you are trusting in Jesus Christ plus anything else for your acceptance by God, for your eternal salvation, then you are saying that Jesus is not enough. As a matter of fact, you're saying he's not necessary. that's the case my friends you're not a Christian you're not in a right relationship with God in Christ and if that's you today I call on you to follow the command of the word of God and repent of that sin and trust in Jesus Christ now, some of you might be saying to yourself well, I believe in Jesus. I believe. I know Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you know him savingly? Because here's the thing. You, you can know things about Christ, but not know him personally. I mean, you can know that he was born in Bethlehem. You can know that he did miracles. You can know that he was one of the greatest teachers of the things of God and the word of God that ever lived. You can, you can know that he was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem and died. You can know that he resurrected from the dead. You can know all sorts of things about Christ and still not know him savingly. To know him savingly means that you know him and you trust him. 
that you know him and you love him. That you know him and you delight in him. You treasure him. You worship him. And you count everything else in this life as nothing more than garbage compared to him. Does that describe how you feel about Jesus? Because look at what Paul says there in verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, as we prepare for a time of response and reflection and prayer, I want to ask you one last question. Is Jesus Christ more valuable to you than anything in this world? Is he more valuable to you than your money and your possessions? Is he more valuable than your vocation, your job? Is he more valuable than your standing in society? Is he more valuable than your family? Is he more valuable to you than your wife and your child? Friends, if there's anyone if there's anyone or anything in your life more valuable than Jesus in your life, you do not know him savingly. What I'm getting at, he's not your Lord and Savior. And I call on you today to repent of that sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I call on you to do that today. Let's pray. Father God, it is so easy for us to say that we trust in Jesus and yet trust in ourselves. Even trust in something else. So, Lord God, by your mercy, open our eyes. Open our eyes and, and let us see the truth about Jesus and the truth about ourselves. And then by your spirit, help us to respond to this grace that you've offered. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.